This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have Scott Welly coming in from Colorado. He is a sheltering in place motivational speaker, ultra athlete, going to help companies and corporations and people outperform where they are today. We're in a crisis and we got to dig out of it. So Scott, welcome and give us some words of wisdom. Well, thanks so much for having me first off. Uh, words of wisdom. I guess the first thing that I'll say is we're all stuck in this crisis. We're all stuck in this pandemic together. I'm a big believer in mindset and how we manage that every single day. And I think there's opportunity. I understand how difficult things can be for everyone right now, especially if we're talking about health and fitness companies. But if you peel back the onion and if you look deep enough, there's probably some layer or some level of opportunity that exists within this, something that you can do to outperform even during this challenging time. Yeah, so, you know, as I was looking through some of your, uh, some of your write-ups and, and, and listening to, uh, to, to some of your YouTube videos, you know, you talk about life's a roller coaster, you know, but while you're on the roller coaster, you kind of hope that you don't have to go through these twists and turns and you kind of think that everything is going to be, you know, sunny and that you can control the things that you control, kind of help people calibrate that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have wins and losses, you know, that's part of the roller coaster. So maybe, you know, talk a little bit about how you think about it and not get down because something happens that you, that pulls you back. Well, one of the philosophies I try to live by is there is no failure. There's only feedback. And I think for every single person listening to this right now, if you really look at it, and if I were to just ask you, what are the greatest lessons that you've learned in your life? You'll tell me something where you had to struggle, where you were going through adversity, where you had to persevere, and where your character was kind of tested when you were up against it. Because we, what we actually do is we learn about ourselves, we learn about our companies, about our teams, about our organizations when we're going through tough times. You know, we don't learn really anything when we're hitting all of our budgets and metrics and it's 70 degrees and sunny outside and everything's perfect in the world. You actually learn your greatest lessons when you're going through some amount of adversity. So if we can just remember that and if we can appreciate the journey that we're all on and maybe instead of asking ourselves, why me, ask ourselves, why this and what are we potentially learning during this time, you're going to have a much better perspective on it going forward. Yeah, so you were in uh, five state golf tournaments uh, back in the day, you know, and, and basically the only person you have to lean on besides your cat, you, you know, is really yourself, right, and, and mental toughness. So, you know, how has sports kind of, you know, shaped, you know, how you think about adversity and how you think about success and, you know, knowing that there's 18 holes and when you get to the 18th, you know, the game is over. You know, where in business, like, there's no end to the game unless you want to end it. Yeah, it's, it's a never-ending game, I guess, so to speak. But, I mean, one of the reasons I was always drawn to golf as an individual sport, even though I played football, I played basketball, and I've done the team thing, is that in golf, it was all on you. It was completely individual. And if you think about it, let's just say a four- to a five-hour round, you spend less than two minutes actually swinging the club. It's mm -hmm. a mind game for the entire rest of the time, thinking about what just happened, thinking about what's going to happen or thinking about something that's completely irrelevant. And really that kind of springboarded me to want to go on and to explore sports psychology. And what you realize is that when I got my master's degree, sports psychology is just like life psychology. It's just more specialized towards athletes. 
but the same focus, discipline, confidence, resiliency, grit, goal setting, all those different things that high level athletes go through are also the same things that will allow us to be our best in our personal lives as well as our professional lives. Um, so it's really been a natural hand in glove fit as I've gone on on the motivational speaking circuit to talk to people about some of those principles and how if you adopt them, it will make you better in every single thing that you do. It's not just about sports. Yeah, so I did something yesterday you probably would have advised me against. I play golf a couple of times a year and I ended up uh, playing with my best friend from camp at Beth Page Black yesterday oh, during a <laughs> pandemic. My industry is officially shut down and no caddies and no carts. So, you know, talk about like setting yourself up for failure. Uh, That's kind of what my day was like yesterday, you know, but, you know, as you've talked to executives and talked to, you know, overachievers that are, you know, sheltering in place right now, you know, I felt, and, and Dave probably feels the same way. It's almost like the first couple of months were kind of, almost like a healthy reboot because we were running so fast. I mean, I was on an airplane three days a week. I was juggling a lot of deals. I paid little to no attention, you know, about nature, you know, plants growing, you know, food that, uh, you know, might uh, spoil in my, in my kitchen, you know, like things that, that, that ordinary people that you should actually, you know, enjoy as part of your, your life. So, you know, what are some of the, takeaways that you've had from, you know, high powered executives who are, you know, now understanding that they're not superheroes and there's something greater that's kind of pushing them down. Well, there could be a lot of different things, but two things that I typically have been coming back to when I talk to a lot of people is with the uncertainty that we're all going through right now, and especially the uncertainty about the future, you know, we love uncertainty in our lives when we get to choose it. But when something Mm -hmm. is thrust upon us by, a pandemic by different rules and regulations from the the federal government or the state government. We don't like that uncertainty and it messes with us. And two things we can always come back to, to be able to outperform and things that we can cling to are structure and progress. And structure would be, even if your home is now your home office and things are operating differently than they were before. If you look at like, let's take an athlete and, I didn't follow you around at Beth Page Black, but I hope you had some kind of engulf. We used to call it a pre-shot routine. But in all of sports, we talk about a peak performance routine. And when you look at high-level athletes, they will do the same exact thing the same exact way every single time before a big game or a big competition. So I think for executives and for any of us looking to be our best, if you can add in some keep, – keep clinging to some level of structure in your life – however you can do it is going to make you better. And then the progress thing I've heard from so many different people. I mean, we can talk about personal or professional, but the progress part of it, the people that seem to be handling this time the best are the ones that say, well, even if my business is shut down, I'm getting some gardening done at home or I'm getting some home improvement projects done, or maybe, you know what, I was running a million miles an hour and I wasn't focusing enough on my health. So now I've gotten back to that and I'm making progress in that area kind of, again, speaks to some of the opportunities that are actually coming about right now. But I think if you can look at how can I just move the ball down the field as an athletic metaphor in some area of my life, i.e. progress, that'll be a big thing as well. 
So, you know, when you think about sports psychology and, you know, working with elite athletes and those athletes need to perform, maybe they perform a couple of days a week. Maybe they perform every Sunday. Maybe they're training for the Olympics. You know, that's every four years or they got world competitions and you're working with executives who basically are, are going and playing on the field every single day, you know, maybe take a day off or maybe don't even take any days off because everyone's so wired into, you know, your iPhone and your email and your Dropbox and everything else. You know, do you feel that, you know, you have to like recalibrate or, you know, say, look, you, you can outperform, but you actually like doing an ultra marathon. And I can't, you can't actually continue to sprint through your career because you're going to miss the journey. So how, how do you think about that when you compare, you know, an athlete with a game and a, and a person with a career? Well, uh, that's actually one of the things that I say is in a lot of ways, there are parallels between what executives and high level athletes go through, but for executives and for a lot of us, even senior managers and anyone else, it can be even more difficult because we don't have an off season. You know, an off season right. for a high level athlete is your time to truly recharge your mental, physical, emotional batteries. And I think this is one of the things where, for lack of a better term, what I do is peak performance. But sometimes you kind of mentioned it before when we talk about peaks and valleys, a lot more of what I talk to people about is how to have sustainable high performance. So it's not like, oh man, I am just running on absolute vapor and I need this vacation or I'm absolutely going to just fall over. It's no, how do we actually recharge our physical, mental, emotional batteries on a daily basis to be able to be our best. And I think one of those things, you know, as we're going through the ringer, let's just take it from a professional standpoint, you have to find something that occupies your mind that completely removes you from whatever pressure and stress you're feeling in your life. Like I put this out as a blog post, as a video to my outperforming community just a couple of weeks ago, because I got in a conversation with somebody about it. You know, I'm in Colorado. So we were climbing a 14er and I've done a bunch of 14ers before. And I said, one of the things that I appreciate most about climbing a 14er above and beyond being outdoors, the health benefits, everything else. I said, what I appreciate more than anything else is that it so fully engulfs my mind that when I'm doing it, I am not thinking about a speech that I have to prepare. I'm not thinking about a coaching client. I'm not thinking about writing my next book. I am literally just thinking about going up this mountain, appreciate, pr appreciating what's around me, going back down this mountain, and I'm fully engrossed in the moment. And it doesn't have to be climbing 14ers for somebody out there listening, but you have to have something in your life, some hobby or something that can so fully engulf or encapsulate your mind that it allows you to mentally, physically, kind of emotionally check out and withdraw from whatever it is that's causing that pressure, that stress. Has there been any research done um, or maybe things that you've observed where, as an example, before COVID, I used to listen to every podcast at either one and a half or two X the speed. I used to sleep like sleeping to me was, you know, maybe not as important, you know, or, or time lost. So is there any like empirical data that says, you know, you know, executives that, that get more sleep or actually like take their vacation days and, 
you know, listen to podcasts on, on normal speed. Like they actually come up with better ideas and they function better. Or is it just, we, we intuitively know that that's probably true. Intuitively, we know that that is true. I can't cite any specific studies right now, but one of the things that I've seen so much on lately, and I think it kind of ties in with what you're saying before, is, but it's just empirical data and research on meditation and how it actually alters brainwaves. I'll be the first one to say, I love listening to things on you know one and a half, two times the speed. I'm, I'm going a million miles an hour when I'm going. I don't meditate very well. I've never really gotten into it, but I understand the importance of it and how much how much research is out there to actually be able to calm the mind when we're in just a sea of, of craziness and chaos and confusion and an ultra fast world where millions of pieces of information are available at our fingertips at any point in time, that ability to actually shift your brain waves and to be able to get back to a state where you're not going a million miles an hour is actually a really powerful thing. So when you think about, um, you know, you, an NFL football team, you know, and they've got a, a head of player personnel. You've got a strength and conditioning coach. You've got, you know, an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, running backs coach, you know, and then you go to a, a corporation and they've got like a head of HR, you know, basically you're like you process your information and they send you some emails through an internet saying like, Hey, get a free massage, you know, and come to the lunchroom or we're doing a, uh, you know, Scott's coming in and we're going to do a, you know, 45 minute, you know, rah, rah, pump up, you know, outperform, you know, if you were to start a company right now, you know, and say, and I gave you a blank piece of paper and said, give me an org chart. And like, and, and also tell me like what a schedule looks like. I was joking around with a guy the other day. I was saying Monday should be practice. We're not doing any work. Monday is just practice day. Like we're going to talk about our sales funnel. We're going to talk about, you know, how to do things more effectively. Like an NFL team, they get to, you know, one day off on a Monday and then they, you know, they practice for five days and they play on a Sunday. You know, I just wonder if we got corporate America somehow tied up in this, you know, engine of progress that we didn't really like support it. We supported it with, you know, some token pro programs and hey, I'll give you a flexible spending account on your, on your healthcare, but it's almost like a do it yourself, you know, program. Whereas maybe if you rethought, the team, maybe, you know, the best teams have the best coaches. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just wondering your, your, your perspective on that. Um, well, I guess a couple of things, I, because I do leadership training is the biggest component of my motivational speaking business. And one of the things I always talk to leaders about is, you know, the number one reason that people leave companies is bad boss. And usually what's underneath bad boss is, person on the team doesn't feel valued or isn't aware of how, how valuable they are to their organization. Um, so I think this can all be kind of a checkpoint and maybe a wake up call for us to perhaps make people feel like they're a little bit more valued. And this would go for, we're going to use the football team analogy. This would be a great coach that everyone from your star quarterback down to the last practice player, you're an important piece of this puzzle and you play a vital role in the team's success. And even if you're not the guy that's getting all the endorsements and you know, getting all the, the points, touchdowns, whatnot on Sunday, you still have a vital role to making us successful. So I think that's a big thing. I would also say that, you know, all of business and, and sports in general is based on outcomes. 
you know, you win or lose the game. You, you hit or miss your month. You hit or make your year. And if you look at what ultimately causes us stress and pressure in our lives and really anxiety, it is usually if you think about a time when you've been really stressed about something, it's probably because you're placing too much emphasis on an outcome. And of all the high-level athletes or executives that I've worked with, it is really, really hard to, me included, to get us all to buy into controlling the controllables. And it's great to have these targets and these metrics that we're going after, but to actually break that down on a micro level and to say to each person, okay, you're a vital part of this team and what you're doing matters. Here are the controllable activities and actions that you really need to be excellent at. And if you do these things really well, are going to fuel those outcomes and those things that we ultimately want. And when you do that correctly as a manager, as a leader, that's really empowering for people because they say, well, I can do that. I can do that. And it's not just a bunch of stuff. It's like the basic fundamentals for athletes. Instead of thinking about how I need to be great at everything, it's just, no, this is my position. So I know I need to be really excellent and really disciplined at just a few vital things that really move the needle in what I'm doing. So do you um, do consulting or, or, or leadership um, sessions with any uh, any public companies without naming them? Just, just yes or no. I just want to ask you a question I have, about that. Yes. Okay, so one one of the things about public companies that I find somewhat unfair and disturbing is, you know, somebody like you could come in and say, hey, look, here's like a plan to totally change the culture of your company. And within a couple of years, you know, this place is going to be one of the best places to work. And then somebody's going to say to you, hey, that's great, man. But in 90 days, I got a quarterly earnings report. And if I don't see anything in 90 days, like I really can't buy in because that's just not how this company works anymore. So how do you respond to somebody who says that? I can't force you to do anything. All I can tell you is what I think is best practice. And if you're willing to play the long game, and I don't even know if I would call it short-term pain for long-term gain, but you actually realize that there are a lot of companies that don't want to actually go through that. You know, that, that are just kind of continuing to run on the hamster wheel. And even if on some level, they know they should be doing things a little bit differently. They don't want, they don't necessarily want to do it because they, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why that is, but if you can get them to buy into the big picture, the, the long-term part of it, it plays a massive difference. But I mean, whether we're talking about personally, professionally, or organizationally, Behavior change is phenomenally complex. It's not easy. No one is ever going to be able to solve it. And I'm not going to pretend that I can go in and I can work miracles, but I can tell you what I think is the best pathway forward for your organization. And hopefully you'll go to work on it. And if you don't, that's okay. So in one of your lectures, you, you, you quoted Ray Lewis and you said, um, you need to be pissed off to get to greatness. So, you know, explain that to our audience, you know, what that means. And then, you know, what, what are the pros and cons of that? Yeah, well, you can go on YouTube and, and I know that this was a few years ago, but it is something I talk about in the leadership book. Ray Lewis had, you know, Hall of Fame linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens had a line that you got to be pissed off for greatness. And one of the first 
large year-long engagements I did with a medical device company, they were divided up into different regions and they ended up going through a ton of turmoil throughout the course of the year. Products were cut, teams were restructured, comp plan was changed, lots of different things going on. And there was one region, the central region that had this quote by Ray Lewis in this video that they would watch the pissed off for greatness that they adopted as what I call a rallying cry. And if you look at one of the distinguishing characteristics between what makes the, the difference between a collection or a group of individuals and a true team or a united team that gets results, one of those things is something that sets them apart, whether it's a uniform or whether it's a rallying cry or just something that they do a little bit differently. So they adopted this rallying cry and no matter if a product was cut, if something was restructured, if comp plan was changed, they just kept coming back to it and saying, well, it doesn't matter. We're pissed off for greatness. You know, they just kept coming back and whatever change, whatever crisis, whatever adversity doesn't matter. We're pissed off for greatness. And I encourage a lot of teams and a lot of companies to have that. And this is not just so we're clear. Mm -hmm. This is not your mission statement. This is not your vision statement. This is not something you put on your website or probably put on social media. This is something that behind closed doors, when you have your team or organizational meetings and you're talking about what are we going to be known for this quarter, this year, so on and so forth. And everybody says, okay, we want this to be our rallying cry for the year. And this is what we're going to come back to. You have the team generated so they've shared buy-in. And it can be a massively powerful thing as far as uniting everyone together. Uh, understood. So, so one other question I wanted to ask you, um, you know, in this day and age, there's a lot more disclosure of weaknesses and vulnerability. You know, if you told me that Michael Phelps, who won, you know, X number of gold medals, and he's, you know, a role model to a lot of people that he'd be on a, a mental health app commercial. I tell you, you're crazy, right? Because that's an image that why would you even like rattle that image for anyone? Because you don't have to do anything. You don't have to disclose that. Like you're already on the, the Wheaties box. You're already known as like the most, you know, one of the most gold, gold medals ever, yeah. you know? So do you think that there's like this seismic shift where, you know, there's just going to be, everyone's going to kind of, uh, you, you use this term, you know, your on-field identity, you know, maybe your on-field identity and your off-field identity, you know, is is potentially transparent. But at some point, do you think that exposing those weaknesses, you know, might not be the best thing for your career? Or you think we're reaching a different change in paradigm where I'm allowed to be honest about everything? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things, I guess. First off, I do think we're experiencing a shift where it's not easy to be vulnerable. I deal with it as a speaker. It's not easy to share some of your struggles, some of your hardships, you know, some of your weaknesses and some of the things that you've done wrong. That is a, an extremely challenging thing. And I'm on a micro, micro, micro level compared to Michael Phelps or anything like that. So I can appreciate how difficult that will be. But you know, with the, the age of social media and everything else, I think you have athletes and just prominent people in general that are sharing more parts of their lives, which I think is a good thing because back in the olden days where maybe you only saw these people play their sports, saw them on some commercials, you thought that they were just perfectly crafted people, you know, and kind of 
golden boys or golden girls in all areas of their life. And I think when you open up to some of the struggles you have, people actually relate to you a lot more. And I think it's a very good thing for a lot of people to be able to see. The only other thing that I'll say on that is what athletes do phenomenally well and executives are able to do it too. But like a Michael Phelps, if you're struggling with some type of maybe depression or mental health issues or whatnot, you brought up on-field identity. Maybe some listeners will have heard the term alter ego, but they do a phenomenal job of being able to flip that switch because a lot of those weaknesses won't necessarily serve them on their field of play, whether it's the court or the course, field, ice, pool, whatever it happens to be. They're able to flip that switch and they're able to leave that at the door and just more or less be the badass athlete that they are and operate with supreme confidence in whatever area, whatever sport they happen to be playing. So uh, last question here, because I know that you've at least watched The Last Dance at least two or three times. While you've been <laughs> Love, I, I grew up with Michael Jordan, I know, man. Yeah, I know you're I a huge up. Jordan fan. Yeah. I got a couple of Jordan, uh, you know, uh, uh, high tops in my in my basement that I'm going to try and dust off and, and, and move. I mean, the, the, the thing that, that was so interesting about that that I didn't fully appreciate is like his level of focus, you know, it was unmatched. I mean, his desire to win you know, was, you know, maybe it came from his dad, maybe it came from playing with his brother, but like his ability to elevate his game every night is really like nothing I've ever seen before. And I think that documentary solidified to me that he was definitely, he's definitely the best athlete yeah, as a rounded athlete that, that there's ever been. Maybe if Bo Jackson didn't get hurt. Um, but, you know, when you look at Jordan and you say, Hey, you know, can I, can I take some of his disciplines and, and try and, you know, overlay that on, on a, on an executive, how much of that you think is, is inborn and how much of that can you actually train? Boy, nature versus nurture is always a very interesting question. I do think it can be developed to a point. I don't, I mean, I don't know what the stats are. I don't think there are any definitive stats. Again, we're talking about all of us as we sit here right now and everybody listening, we are where we are because of our nature, our nurture, and the choices we've made based on that. And we're never going to be able to exactly pinpoint, well, it was this much nature, it was this much choices. It just doesn't work that way. I fundamentally believe that we can change, and I think neuroplasticity and everything we're learning about the brain we can change the way that we think based on what we're frequently exposed to. Similar to conditioning the body, you can condition the mind as well. Uh, but Jordan is, a, is an extremely interesting case study. I mean, one of my favorite commercials by him, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was the one where he says, I've missed this many shots. You know, I've lost this many games, so on and so forth. I failed over and over and over in my life, and that's why I succeed. You know, that's a true study of there is no failure. There's only feedback. And I picked up so many different things during the last dance documentary that that I just find very interesting. I'm sure I watch it through a little different lens than a lot of people. But one of the things I think it might have been his trainer, Tim Grover. I remember him saying something to the effect of, you know, the way Jordan approached things. And this is one of my pet peeves, you know, especially if we're talking about NBA athletes load managing and not playing every night, and different things. Now, I remember Tim Grover saying something that, you know, Jordan looked at it every single night, like I have a responsibility to people that are spending three hours of their life 
to show up to watch me play. And they deserve my best. And if you look at that, and if you think about that, for everybody out there listening, executive or otherwise, and if you think about who is relying on me to outperform, it's not just about me, but who needs me to be at my best today? It's how you raise something that we call psychological necessity, and it makes you want to actually play at a higher level day in and day out. And I just wish more people looked at it like that instead of thinking about, oh, I'm tired. Oh, I really don't feel like doing this. It's no, there are people out there that are coming to my facility that are relying on me for this, that are showing up to watch me play and they deserve my best. It's just a phenomenal way to look at life. Yeah, it's almost as an athlete, you never when you're growing up, you're never playing for the fans. You're playing for yourself or you're playing for your teammates. And then when you get into a, a into the pros, you kind of, you realize that you're an entertainer, uh, but you still are, are, you don't have to perform at, at an elite level. You know, one, one of the things that happened, I, I uh, before COVID, I would go to these uh, uh, cycling classes and um, some of the instructors show up, you know, and they're, and they're ready to go. And, and you think that that's probably the only class that they're teaching for the day because it's so much energy. And then, you know, you go to a class at like a 7.30 at night and you get the instructor, you know, who maybe doesn't have the best time and they come in, they got their, their uh, uh, cycling shoes in their hands so they're not, they're not ready, they're not prepared. You know, the, the first song is for them to put their shoes on. And then on the microphone, they say, oh, I hope you guys are having a good day, you had a good day, you know, this is my fifth class of the day. And nobody on an airline, you never sit down on an airline, the pilot's like, you know, oh man, I'm exhausted, it's like, my eighth leg of the day on Southwest. Like, dude, I want to know that this is the most important flight. This is the most important class. And you got to project that. And that's part of your job. And, and maybe that's the lasting thought I give the audience from this. But if you look at the difference between amateurs and professionals or the norm and outperformers, it doesn't matter what industry we're talking about. The people that are truly best in class and are the true outperformers and professionals is that it doesn't matter if it's your fifth soul cycle class. It doesn't matter if it's your eighth leg on a flight. It doesn't matter if I'm giving my fifth speech in five days. You, I have an obligation and I have a responsibility to show up and to deliver my best because other people need that. Other people deserve that. I hate when the uh, the commentators after a football game say, hey, man, this guy just didn't show up last night. It's like, actually, that's the only thing he did do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so so, in closing here, um, you know, you got a lot of quotes and, and we've talked a lot, but, you know, we've built a nice quote library here. So, you know, what's the most important quote for you or the one that you you live by and, uh, and then give us uh, your closing thoughts here on your website and uh, how people can get into your uh, – get you to speak at their, uh, their events. I'll give you the longer one called the price of admission. And it goes like this. Winning is not normal. And people who constantly win do so by following an abnormal path. And the discipline, dedication, and sacrifices are incomprehensible to the thousands who are standing outside looking in that are capable of joining yet are unwilling to pay the price of admission. I like it. I like it. Scott, give us the uh, the web address and uh, there's plenty of YouTube links if anyone needs a motivational uh, pickup during the shelter in place. Uh, I spent the day doing that, so I'm feeling good. And I'm glad we had this opportunity to, uh, to connect to you live. 
Yeah, so am I. Thanks so much for having me. So I, I would just direct everybody, go to scottwelly.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E.com. You can link to all of my books and a bunch of different resources. If you're an executive and you're interested in leadership strategies, um, I try to make my books not just words on a piece of paper, words on a screen, but they are really multimedia tools to help you be your best personally, professionally, athletically. Um, so there's just tons of free goodies there. You can also look me up on social, basically at Scott Welly, pretty much everywhere. Um, but I'd love to connect and um, yeah, love to, I guess, see people or virtually see people in the future. I mean, well, we need you in the halo sector. So uh, thanks for uh, reaching out and uh, it was great talking to you. Thanks. Thank you. Awesome. Give a shout out to my good friends at lassogear.com, L-A-S-S-O-G-E-A-R.com. I want to give you 20% off using the code Halo Talks on the best compression socks on the planet. I've been using them during the pandemic. My field goal kicking is further and stronger than it's ever been. Check out these socks. You'll love them. They got an L and an R to make it easy to put on each foot. Enjoy it. Trust me, you'll love them.